I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Happy uh, Cinco de Mayo, or day after Cinco. Happy everyone's hungover when you're listening Woo! to this. Hopefully, we can help you get through that. Yeah, I, uh, I don't usually celebrate Cinco de Mayo. I celebrate every other year. Uh, my buddy and I celebrate... Uh, Derby Day Mayo, where to commemorate a time when he and I drank way too much on a day that was Cinco de Mayo and the Kentucky Derby. So every other year, we commemorate that by trying to recreate that level of drinking. Sounds sounds uh, like a good a good you know just a good idea. It why, is. why why wouldn't you? <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this Saturday, because we try not to do it during the week, will uh, will be the third edition of it. The first being. Uh, we were at a wedding, and someone made the terrible idea, again, on Cinco de Mayo and the Kentucky Derby, to put a four-hour gap between the wedding and the reception. What? Yeah. So so basically, they're like, yeah, you should do a pre-game of the reception, which is basically post-gaming the wedding <laughs> to begin with. So Yeah, that's just not a good idea. Yeah, but, but before things being lit were a thing, this was this might have been the initial lit occurrence. If I had. <laughs> the pre-lighting, it was it was it was uh I can't even think of it. Yeah, so, so fun. <laughs> Hopefully, everyone's having fun to, out there tonight while we are sitting home podcasting at nine p.m. That's what Eastern. we do. I guess you you you're a little earlier, so a little earlier. I'm still doing nothing tonight, but that's what happens when you're when you're old and married and just take care of your dog for the night. We can say, though, the night is young enough where it's, you know, Pacific time out there and I'm in New York where time doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> we could both go do things after this. So our lives maybe aren't quite as sad as uh, as as it would seem. But, uh, you know, we, we won't tell you if we did or not. You'll very, have very to true. <laughs> imagine that we all went out and had a festive evening. Go take hints from Twitter. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm angrily yes. tweeting about things later on, you know I'm out. <laughs> In any case, um, not a ton going on in Syracuse world, but um, one thing that we did want to talk a little bit about is the fact that uh, Syracuse, despite all the fire desco chants, all the fears, um, all the typical sky is falling nonsense we hear about the, the men's lacrosse team, they managed to win their second straight ACC championship. Um, Dan, obviously this isn't as strong as some previous groups that have won the ACC, well, any conference championship in, in the few years that we have to choose from, but... Um, do you think that any troubles that, that ailed this team are kind of over at this point? Um, I Like you said, I don't think this is like the best Syracuse team. It's probably, you know, one of the less exciting ones we've had in recent years. But they definitely seem to have gotten over um, whatever happened during that stretch in the middle of the season. Um, and, I, and I do enjoy the, the now fire and then in parentheses uh, two-time or uh, two consecutive uh, – consecutive winner of the ACC Coach of the Year Award, uh, John Destro. So 
it is, it's a pretty funny season with how everything shook out, considering I think the Fire Destro stuff, which pops up literally every year, no matter what, um, really, like, it really got loud this year. Um, and I get why. It was, you know, things looked really bleak there for a while. Um, and he ends up winning the Coach of the Year award for the second straight year. So, and and the the team won the ACC again, which is awesome. So I think it just goes to show you that like even at its worst, and I know we are still waiting for you know did over this national championship slump. Syracuse lacrosse still a very 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 good program, even when it doesn't have its best team. Yeah, and you know I, I think that that's kind of it's obviously a testament to you know the legacy that, that they've created here. It's a it's a legacy that you know kind of defies at this point whether it's coaches or, or who's on the roster or sh- mid-season struggles. I mean, the season's gotten longer. Obviously, the talent pool's gotten larger. The uh, the depth of talented teams has gotten larger. Um, and, and that sent Syracuse fans for a loop. Meanwhile, you know, the, the same things just keep happening. You know, if Syracuse goes into a, a weird stretch mid-season, they pull themselves out of it, they come back and they beat, um, you know, two very good teams. Obviously, I think we were a little assisted by Duke. Um, in helping us avoid Notre Dame, but it doesn't matter. It is because on the trophy, all it says is that we won. Uh, I, I think that you know, fans are unfortunately slow to to accept the new reality, um, and I think that the same can be said about other blue blood programs. Whether you're talking about us or Hopkins or, or Virginia, um, I mean, th- those are kind of the three that at least still hang around. I don't think Princeton can really qualify anymore. Um, based on how they've fallen off pretty hard. But, you know, fans are just... Fans are not accepting of anything but championships at Syracuse. Again, a testament to what we've built. But, you know, it's, it might be time to, to adjust the, I guess, the bar for success. And, and, and it's still a pretty high one. It's still higher than just about any other programs. But I, I think we can all be content with, you know, making the NCAA tournament pretty much every year. Um, and, and then, I mean, hopefully just challenging for a title a little bit more often than we have been in the last few years. Right. I, I think I'm not totally like, I, I'm okay with people wanting a title every year. I, I think when you're Syracuse, you should be contending for them. Um, and I don't know that this, this strat isn't great. Like it's, it's getting, you know, fairly long, although obviously you have to account for lacrosse, just like we're, we're in a drought at the same exact time where lacrosse has really started to, um, spread and diversify and, and change. Um, but I, I think it would also be really uh, unfair to just like say, oh, they're never going to win one again. Um, I think it will happen. Uh, it, it won't happen now. Like when it, when it does, I don't think it's reasonable to expect the team to win, you know, every other year like they used to. But um, I think, you know, I, I, you can expect Syracuse to be a national title contender uh, on a yearly basis. And I think for the most part, even in the, what, seven years since we've won or so? Um, we've been a national title contender almost all of those years, and we haven't broken through. But uh, just like any other sport, if you put yourself in position to be there in the end, um, you just have to, you know, settle. There, there's a one-off game, and stuff happens. And uh, if you are around and relevant and playing for a title uh, or, a, you know, in a semifinal, eventually you are going to, to take one home. It just works out, so... Um, Desto has us playing uh, lacrosse at the top of the sport pretty much every year, um, even this year. Uh, and I think we benefited a little bit from the ACC being kind of down for what it is. Obviously, everyone's like ranked and didn't make the tournament for the most part. But 
uh, except for I forgot, like Virginia had a pretty bad year, right? They, yeah, Virginia's kind of fallen on some hard times. I think that they're one, not that they're one to watch necessarily as as a school that could fall out of that top tier. But you're definitely starting to see, I think, a different a different culture there that that they might have to get used to, or maybe it's a blip. Um, I mean, they've obviously had some very talented teams of late. And it just doesn't seem like that's translated to to what they're used to, um, and, and and in a much more, in a much worse way, I guess that than than Syracuse can say that. Right, and, and like you said, and you know, like we've been saying, Syracuse, you know, I'd say this is kind of a middling team for where we've had the last decade, and I don't think anyone would be that surprised if uh, Syracuse is there in the Final Four in a couple of weeks. Um, and it should be noted for all of the. Uh, you know, pot banging uh, from mid-March to mid-April um, where they lost four games and five, uh, four or five games. And that's where all the losses came. Um, I should, you know, she should probably be reminded 11 to 10 in overtime to Hopkins, 16, 15 in overtime to Duke. The, the Notre Dame game was a disaster. And then 10 to nine in overtime to Cornell. So four losses, three were in overtime, uh, all two. I, I know Cornell's not great this year, but all two pretty good programs. And you expect, like, generally, at least one of those would go your way. Um, so this, this, and if Syracuse has had good luck this year, it might be the same same team in terms of ability. And it could have one loss, and everyone would be freaking out about you know being number one in the country and being the favorite, even though the team maybe wouldn't be that much better. So uh, lacrosse is one of those sports; it, it can break uh, in really uh, interesting ways just based on like one play. Um, and for SU, it's been SU's been pretty unlucky all year, considering how these games have turned out. And they are sitting under uh, Nadetta. I mean, in all likelihood, they'll have a first round uh, home game, which will be pretty good. Yeah, I know. I've seen a couple, or at least one. Was it inside lacrosse that had us as a nine? Uh, that I wasn't a huge fan of, just because I didn't understand how or why. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I think everyone's kind of seeing us as maybe in that you know, four to seven range. And that's that's pretty fair. Like we said, this is not one of the better Syracuse teams of late, but if one of the better Syracuse teams of late is still one of the top 10 teams in the country and probably one of the top five to seven, it's fine by me. Yeah. I mean, we say every year, like Syracuse lacrosse fans, we are, and we're all, you know, in the heat of the moment, we all get this way. We are very, very uh, spoiled by years and years and years of success like and riding and just being the dominant program that's in the sport. And now we are still, you know, among the best. And it's not like another program has jumped out and still taken that from us. It's just, you know, different teams win all the time now. You have Denver. You have Loyola won that one year. Um, obviously, Duke was really good for a couple of years and, and still is a, a you know, pretty preeminent program. It's not like someone just, like, snatched our, our title away from us and is now, like, definitively, definitively the program. It's just that Syracuse, you know, is now in a, in a larger group and, and just hasn't quite uh, reached the pinnacle. But I, I still feel pretty confident that we'll see a title in the next couple of years. And I, I would be surprised if Destro didn't get another one, if not more than one, before he uh, hangs it up. Or uh, and, and I'd be shocked if John Destro is ever actually fired from the Syracuse uh, lacrosse team. So, uh, yeah, so, so sorry about that for the fired Destro uh, <laughs> contingent. Um, I hope I hope you've put your pitchforks away for the year. year. There is there is always next year. <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow. It's actually in Syracuse. The sun probably won't come out tomorrow. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I'm looking forward to the tournament. I always really get into lacrosse like now uh, since we're we're a couple weeks out from basketball and obviously like 
college football, aside from uh, the Big 12 being nice enough to uh, bring back realignment, everyone's favorite topic. Um, college football is basically in like the dormant stage of the season right now. Uh, so it's always nice to have lacrosse pop up here, and, and I enjoy watching all the games. I've really gotten into it, and, and it's fun to just the sports a good time. So hopefully we... We all get to enjoy the sport as a whole and not just, you know, worry about Syracuse winning a title and setting these crazy expectations. And if they do, we will all celebrate. I agree on all counts. A nice segue you set us up for there, uh, talking about the Big 12 a little bit. I, I try. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. So, Dan, taking off your, your, your writing cap, and I'm going to do the same thing, How how – Terrible did it feel to see realignment end up back in the in the headlines that this past week? Um, I, I feel like Jekyll and Hyde with it because it's like the most infuriating thing in terms of just I know that there are fans, most of whom root for West Virginia, that are just going to be crunching away at the most ridiculous uh, conspiracy theories and trying to leak stuff, and there's just going to be so much misinformation out there, um, and that that part's just awful. Um, at the same time, like actually thinking about, uh, and breaking down like what the best fits are because we, I think everything that's happened thus far in realignment has made some sense to a a point. This just is like, um, there are teams that make more sense and they might, uh, to some people and there are, there are pros and cons for pretty much every team that you can throw out there for the big 12, which they all but admitted yesterday after that meeting they had that they're going to expand unless Texas just throws like a total hissy fit, um, in which case, like which they're going to. But this is like the one thing that Texas doesn't seem like it can get a bully pulpit on. Um, so it's just like anyone else expanding, you can get nervous because you never know. Like if if another conference wants to approach the ACC, another grant of rights is there, which makes it incredibly hard to leave. But you almost like feel like, oh no, the SEC is going to figure out a way to do this. The ACC is in a much better position than the Big Twelve right now, which is nice for us. Um, which means the Big Twelve's only real recourse is going to the Group of Five conferences slash BYU, um, and that's just uh, there's just no obvious candidate. Like West Virginia probably wasn't like obvious obvious, but they were like you knew they were a power conference team. Uh, they competed. They went to a number of BCS bowls. Like you knew they should play at that level. So you kind of take what the issues with them are and deal with them. Maybe you could argue they should have taken Louisville instead. But, you know, those two teams, you could pretty easily, you know, make uh, a case for despite not being perfect fits. The the teams um, that are left, like, there's a reason they're left. Um, and some reasons are more fair and, and less fair than others. But uh, there's just definitively, like, not a school that they can slide in and there's like a hundred percent harmony with no issues. Uh, it's either um, it's just not a team that you're sure can compete at a high level. And you're just adding like bottom, you know, fodder to the conference, or it's not a team that brings much outside of uh, sports or the locations are all a mess. Like there's so many teams you're talking about that are just not like anywhere near the rest of the conference, which you did once with us, Virginia, and you can, finesse that with like a couple other schools but then there's other you know that have been brought up that like like obviously uh in the thing i wrote today i put boise state in there which is like would be an awesome move just for football but like every other possible way you look to add a team and they don't make a lot of sense um so yeah the big 12 has an interesting decision to make um whereas like the acc 
you know, they had already, when they took Syracuse and Pitt and then eventually Louisville, like, we knew that Syracuse was the team um, until BC pushed us out of the way because of, uh, and Virginia, well, Virginia Tech really pushed us out of the way and then BC got in over us. But, like, you kind of knew Syracuse was on that short list. Big 12, like, who knows where they end up. It could go in a lot of different directions, which kind of makes it a little more interesting. Yeah, and I mean, you know what? From from a fan standpoint, I hate it, but from a writing standpoint, it's it's at this point kind of tough to separate. Oh, it's such good um, content! It's so it's, good. You know, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, just because you saw the article we had up the other day, I mean, like ninety plus comments about it because people are still infatuated with it. I mean, it's the reason I started like writing about the sport on a daily basis, and luckily, you know, it didn't continue because it was getting exhausting. But it's interesting now because you know the. This can only happen in the Big 12. This circus, the entire thing with it. Like, the Big 10, there, there's fear involved. With the Big 12, there's a circus atmosphere to it because the Big 12 has been, since its inception, a marriage of convenience. You know, you had, you had the only viable candidates, really, from a dying Southwest Conference grabbing onto a Big 8 that needed to probably grow itself if it wanted to continue to compete um, in, you know, the college football landscape. And now, like, you know, you had four teams leave. You had two teams come in. I mean, of all the moves that actually happened in realignment um, by choice, you know, so that's eliminating things like Idaho and New Mexico State, um, you know, playing in the Sun Belt. Um, the West Virginia ad is, is the only one that, that raises an eyebrow, and, and it's for the reasons you said. It's not about the, the on-field product. The on-field product made perfect sense, but it was – the culture fit. Like, you look at the teams that were added to the ACC. I mean, Louisville is the only one with even a mild question mark, and even then I think that they've proven themselves and then some, and that they actually are better fit for the ACC than people even realized. Um, but, you know, Pitt, easy fit, makes perfect sense. Notre Dame makes perfect sense. Syracuse definitely makes perfect sense. Just join a, you know, conglomerate of private schools already in the league. Like, all, all of that made sense. Um, and so did the Pac-12 moves, and so did the Big Ten move the first time. Like, you even understood why with Maryland and Rutgers, um, e- even even if it's still pretty stupid in hindsight because it didn't really do anything for the on-field product. It did a lot for their uh, checkbooks. For the Big 12, everything is always out of convenience and almost necessity. I mean, TCU getting an invite when it was just a redundant market in Fort Worth. Um you know, again, West Virginia giving nothing but a football product that really still has underperformed to this point. Um, you know, you're right. I, I just, I don't really know where they go here. Um, if Texas is this much against um, expansion, I just, I don't see the Texas schools, especially Houston, the, the front runner there, out of those options. Uh, I don't see any of them being able to angle their way in. Um, I think the last thing anybody else in the conference wants is another school like TCU or uh, Texas Tech kind of voting, you know, in lockstep with, with, with the horns. Uh, I think Texas understands the precarious situation it's in now and that if you keep inviting more Texas schools, eventually you're going to get depositioned a little bit. And, you know, it's not the way it used to be where, you know, Texas and Oklahoma would, would run a lot of things in, in the Big 12 South and then everybody else just kind of fell into line. I think now, you know, you have you have a very good TCU program with a lot of money being poured into it. You have a very good Baylor program with a lot of money being poured into it. You know, I, I hung around both campuses and, and both stadiums last week when I was down in Texas. And, and you definitely see the shift. You see the change. Like, these are 
these programs aren't messing around. They have money. They have donors, um, and and they're going to keep climbing. And and for Texas, you know, inviting a school like Houston, um, maybe not their best idea. But the other issue for for the Big Twelve right now is just geography. Um, West Virginia pigeonholed them into a part of the country. I just but BYU is the best fit, and Boise State's probably the second best fit. And I don't think they can invite either, just because of, of the pure mass of a conference that they've created by inviting West Virginia. I think that that Cincinnati has to be, you know, choice one, and then I don't even think UConn's the clear choice too. I think it has to be, you know, somebody else. Maybe it's Memphis, kind of hanging around in that middle ground between West Virginia and the rest of the league. Yeah, and and I wrote about this a lot today. Like the one of the th- issues for for us, like just kind of prognosticating here, is we really don't know what the Big Twelve is looking for. If they're looking for pure football, the moves are Houston and Boise State. Like those are the two best football programs. You could argue BYU. Um, they have proved they can compete at this level. Uh, they've proved it against like Big Twelve and similar schools. Uh, Houston's just like if if they can keep Tom Herman, they could be like a runaway train. They're already. They've, I mean, the, Tom Herman named like five star kids out of Houston last year, which is insane. Um, and but like you said, a we don't know if the non Texas schools are going to want the Cougars around if they join like the Texas mafia there and just vote with the Horns. But will the Horns really want them if they're going to get? I mean, if Houston joins a bit twelve, they're going to get even better. And right. Texas has already seen what happens when you add TCU and Baylor as. Uh, schools that can compete and and A and M there for a while though A and M as we saw this morning you know they might be falling out of that list um, but I don't think Texas wants more competition in state and Houston would present that um, Boise's just like they're so far on an island uh, they I mean they're they they're even farther than West Virginia is from the conference uh, and there's just no good way to link them in so like you said I think Cincinnati is probably the safest bet of anyone. Um, they're good enough in football where I could see them being like a seven ish game winner most years. Like, and they've been really good. Like, uh, looking it up since they joined the big East, I think they've had like one losing, they, they had a losing season their first year in the big East. And then they've had one, a couple of years ago, I think Tuberville's first year, maybe. Um, so they've been was very, 2000, was it 2010? I thought I remember us like completely railroading them. Yeah. I think that, I think that's right. Uh, maybe it was before Tubble, maybe it was one of the Butch Jones years then. Um, it was D'Antonio's second year, which was the first year in the Big East. They went four and seven, I think. I looked this up today, and then I think they won five games. One of these like more recent years. Um, otherwise, they've been they've won I think eight and a half. I think they've won eight and a half games a year on average since they joined the Big East. They've been very competitive. Um, I don't think they'd be like a you know a real threat to win the Big Twelve anytime soon. But I think they'd be good enough where you don't worry about them just getting destroyed like Kansas. Um, just like West Virginia, pretty much. Yeah, if they could, they could probably be similar to what West Virginia's done. Um, they bring Ohio in, which is nice. Uh, Esther recruiting grounds. They they're about three hundred miles from West Virginia and about six hundred, I think, from Kansas. So they kind of bridge the conference a little better than anyone else. Um, so that I think they are probably the safest pick. Uh, and and there's just there isn't a huge downside. I mean, you're not going to bring in a great fan base. They're, they're, they have their diehard fans. Shout out to our, our friend at Shookbook. Um, but it's a, it's a pro town. It's Ohio State State. Um, Nippert's not a huge stadium. It'd probably be, I think it'd be the smallest stadium in the conference uh, by a decent amount. Um, so that's an issue. But I think they can overlook that. Um, otherwise, like everyone else, like if they want it into Florida, 
I think you can go UCF or USF. I don't think there's a huge difference. I think US, UCF has a little more upside, but we don't know if that's an interest. Like that's never been we, we like it, it's floated out a lot just because those two schools will will definitely um, try to get into the Big Twelve. But like that could be a thing the Big Twelve eyes like right away, and that becomes obvious. And maybe they even take both, or that could be a thing that just like oh, we don't really care about getting into Florida. It's too far removed. It's not really a place we think will be competitive. Um, so there's just so many moving parts, like it's, and it, it, it definitely adds to the intrigue. Um, and I do, I do look forward to seeing, uh, the eight or 10 schools that all think they have a shot, like just battling it out in the internet. That'll be fun. Yeah. It's always entertaining and expansion Twitter. If people, if people view it the right way, it's funny. If people view it, if you, if you're a West Virginia blogger, it's not funny. If you're, you know, I mean, no escalators started going in on it yesterday already. And it's like. Having a, like having a fun time with it, Action Cookbook is a fun. Like a lot of guys have a fun time with it, and and, and that's when I don't mind it. Um, I think the one, you know, because you brought up Florida, I think the one reason why I'd consider it is because of the fact that West Virginia's on the expansion board, and West Virginia's biggest issue of late has been. Um, you know, where they pull in these recruits. Because for a long time, West Virginia was getting those Florida kids. And actually, weirdly enough, Marshall is doing the same thing. Um, you know, both the two West Virginia schools. Um, the Mountaineers for a long time were getting those Florida kids. And once they stopped playing Florida schools, then that kind of dropped off. Uh, and it took them a couple of years to really start to rebound and, and, and to figure out, you know, where their recruiting footprint is. I mean, you're seeing, and we talked about this before, you're seeing this with Nebraska and, and the Texas kids now that they don't face Texas schools every year, Oklahoma schools every year. They don't have access to that talent anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I could see West Virginia maybe trying to reopen that pipeline for themselves. It doesn't mean that they have a trump card, but I, I think I think West Virginia's voice is louder than some might assume just because it has it, – it's played along really well. Um, it, it's done well, not amazingly, but it's done well um, – and it's time in the conference. It, it's been a fun road trip for, for fans. Um, in general, like they, they've really incurred more costs than maybe they even considered um, going in because of all the travel and everything. So I think, based on all that, again, because like, you can't go back and play revisionist history, which we'll get to in a few, um, I think West Virginia kind of is going to be um, prioritized here. Yeah, and I think I mean I think West Virginia their their votes would probably be if I had to guess it'd be Cincinnati and one of the Florida schools for the reasons you laid out. Cincinnati becomes uh, an easy travel partner for them. They're not like a rival rival, but they you know they're familiar just from time in the conference together. And then the Florida schools like West Virginia would definitely benefit from that more than just about anyone else because that's a huge area for them recruiting wise, like it is for us, like it is for pretty much any other Eastern Seaborn school that doesn't have a national recruiting ground. Like it, none of those schools can go without signing like a couple, like five or, or five to 10 kids from Florida every year. I would agree. So I guess one thing that I was kind of alluding to earlier, there was a way to make this all better. And that is either a not doing any of this at all a few years ago or B, I mean, obviously still send Syracuse to the ACC. We can do that, but B, doing it in a way that makes a lot more sense. So, Dan, I'm going to name some things that probably should have happened instead, and you tell me if afterward if all those make sense. So, Nebraska still leaves. 
I think they're regretting it a little bit now, but not to the point of, you know, going back. But Nebraska still leaves, goes to the Big Ten. That makes sense. I think the other two schools really that made sense would have been Missouri and Kansas in the Big Ten, but that's just me. Um, I think the West Virginia belonged in the SEC. Um, I think that actually would have been a smarter play long-term, maybe, um, for the SEC um, to invite West Virginia. I, I think that, you know, Maryland could have probably stayed put. I think we still would have gotten around to inviting Louisville. Um I think that the Big 12 might not have... Well, obviously, if West Virginia was going to the SEC, Big 12 should have probably invited uh, TCU and um, BYU the first time around, and, and then, you know, either Houston and Boise or Colorado State and Boise uh, on the second go-around just to expand West instead of East. And I think you end up with a better overall setup. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more machinations to it than just a couple name swaps, but... I feel like that probably leaves everybody in a better place, save Rutgers, than, and who gives a fuck about them, uh, than, than they are right now. Yeah, I, I think what we've learned is that there isn't a ton of, like, thinking two steps ahead with a lot of these moves, except for, like, maybe the SEC. The SEC seems to, like, make the moves that end up working out the most, even, like, Missouri seemed like kind of a strange thing, especially because of how Missouri was so thirsty after the Big Ten for so long, and then all of a sudden the SEC's like, all right, we'll just come here. And they did, and then they won the SEC twice in the next three years. Um, but other than that, like, you know, uh, obviously Maryland, uh, they, they seem to be okay now, like, for where they are, um, especially because they've been really competitive outside of football and a lot of the other sports, which uh, is a little bit of a surprise considering the athletic department situation there. Um, so good for them. Um, Rutgers is, I mean, Rutgers should just be thrilled where they are. Uh, and yeah, I think a lot of what you said has a lot of uh, makes a lot of sense. Nebraska definitely. Um, I think it's hard to turn down the Big Ten, considering uh, the the difference between stability uh, between the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. Um, but there are definitely uh, a vocal segment of Nebraska fans who um, miss playing, uh, like Oklahoma, especially one of the probably their biggest rival. Um, and like you said before, uh, them losing Texas was, was pretty big. They're trying to fill it in with Florida like everyone does. Um, but it definitely isn't as natural as, you know, being able to go down to Texas. I'm guessing they were there like once or twice a year. Um, so that just – and there's just as many kids in Texas as there are in Florida. Um, and probably fewer outside schools going in to poach them. Um, it's starting to grow now. But, um, yeah, I, not everyone looks uh, – looks ahead and sees, you know, exactly the best fit is, but I also have a hard time blaming um, schools for just taking the first life raft, life raft, especially the schools that were coming out of the Big East and, and the Big 12 when, when they were poached. Couldn't agree more. Um, all right, I think that's good for halftime, then we can kind of jump back in. There's other things being tossed around now, around realignment. Um, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, yesterday I got to try one that's been, like, kind of on my list for a long time and just hadn't run into very often. Um, I had Deuce Island's uh, Bourbon County Stout, um, which, yeah, so good. like I'm not a huge stout drinker. Um, I'm not a huge stout drinker in terms of like the really uh, heavy flavored ones. And this was like just really, really good. Um, the bourbon flavor, I mean, it, it tastes, the bourbon flavor is super apparent, but at the same time, it's not like obnoxious or overpowering and they pair it well with like 
some some vanilla, some some chocolate, like just some sweeter notes. But it's not overly sweet. It's very smooth. It's very drinkable. But it's like fifteen percent alcohol, which um, I only had one of them, so it wasn't like a you know it didn't like knock me over or anything. But um, I'm absolutely shocked it was that high. I think it's between fourteen and fifteen percent, depending on the batch. But uh, yeah, that that definitely lived up to um, the expectations. Uh, especially for someone who, again, like that's totally outside my normal um, realm in terms of, of beer preferences, and I would get one of those again in, in a heartbeat. That was really good. Um, I also I had to have uh, some Tank Seven, which I'm seeing more and more of. Uh, Boulevard, one of my favorite uh, favorite beers um, of any genre, which was nice. Um, I don't think we 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 didn't do the podcast last week, right? We missed it. Oh, so I have a bunch of stuff, actually. Um, I had... I tasted... I didn't have a full one because it's not a great brewery, but I was interested. So I tasted a... Shock Top made a Twisted Pretzel Wheat Beer, and it was it was okay. It was... Uh, it did, I wouldn't say it tasted a lot like a pretzel, but I got where they were going, and it wasn't bad. It's definitely drinkable. I would... Dan, did I lose you? Uh, uh, can you not hear me? Can you not hear me? I can oh, hear you now. That was weird. I didn't change anything. Um, I had Psychokinesis by Grim Artisan Ales, uh, three, which I've become a pretty big fan of, um, which is a wild ale, uh, really bright, really drinkable. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. I had a Florida Cracker by Cigar City, um, which is this, the only Cigar City thing I've had, I think, except for the, uh, High Ally, uh, not quite as good as that. Um, it's a wheat beer, just a you know a solid effort, nothing crazy. Uh, and I think the last one that I haven't talked about before um, is the Softly Spoken Magic Spells by Single Cut, another one of my favorite New York City breweries. Um, really, really unfiltered uh, double IPA, um, really hazy, uh, really nice hoppy kick, but. Uh, just really solid. I, those guys make really awesome IPAs. So um, this is another really, another really good one. Good deal. Do you love me some single cut? Um, I was on vacation, so I got to drink a lot. Uh, <laughs> both from here and down in Texas. Uh, so yeah, I had Infinite Wishes, the bourbon barrel-aged Imperial Stout from Smog City. Um, came out back in January, so I put a little bit of time behind it. Um buddy of mine in Texas sent me uh, No Labels Perpetual Peace um, was a uh, scotch barrel aged uh, wee heavy had well was going to wait in a line to get a four pack of cans from Monkish Foggy Window their uh, East Coast style double IPA that they made um, and then I saw that the line was wrapped around the building like twice over so then I just decided to skip the line and sit down and drink the beer um, it was very good also had a uh, Velicor uh, from them. It was a very, very good wild ale. Uh, Monkish makes some great stuff um, in, in the uh, the Belgian family especially, and uh, and that being you know, the latest. might have mentioned this one a while back. Um, Smog City has their really good um, Snugglebug Sour. Oh, Cuddlebug, and then they also have the uh, believe it's not Cranberry. I think it's Raspberry. I think it is Raspberry. Raspberry version uh, Snugglebug. They also had another version that they made uh, Chinooks and Crannies was a cranberry version um, that uh, you know used uh, Chinook hops, dry hopped at the end. 
so so good um very glad i got to check that one out also had oh, toolbox um which is down in san diego they have a, a spring shandy berliner weiss um, i'm not a big shandy fan but if they all tasted like this one I, I would drink a hell of a lot of them because it was extremely refreshing um had an ipa from almanac uh, summer in san francisco drank the uh, very very enjoyable um, help yourself um, from highland park brewing um, they used barrels that oak barrels that they aged um, raised eyebrows in raised eyebrows is a very good um, guava and i think it was apricot uh, sour ale from last year and they aged, put a saison in those barrels to kind of pick up some of those flavors uh, beyond that when I was in Texas, had a deep LM IPA, drank some, had a petite golden sour from the Collective Brewing Project uh, over in Fort Worth. They're an interesting uh, group. They uh, Some of their stuff is like pretty standard, but some of it's like very different. They had like a green tea IPA. They had, also had a, uh, it was a ginger and, it was a ginger and ramen noodle um, wheat beer that they made. It was kind of odd in a good way um had carbox staycation pale ale um at austin beer works uh pearl snap uh prairie they had their uh, prairie flare it was a sour of theirs and oh and then a community uh, beer company up in dallas their uh, mosaic ipa and yeah that was uh that was a lot from me uh sorry I promise next week will be better, and then as far as sufferability, and then the following week, I'm going to be at uh, the brewery's anniversary party, which means uh, that I'm going to be drinking pretty much everything under the sun. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I, uh, I looked at the list so far, and there's like about 30 things I want to try, which is bad. So I'm going to have to fig- either figure out a way to narrow that list or... Luckily, they're doing on heavier stuff. They're doing like one and a half ounce tasters. So at least, uh, at least I can live through the day. Yeah, I always enjoy just like getting like a easy like couple ounces just to say I've tried something, and then obviously you can always go more, go more from there. But uh, always, always enjoy getting to try a bunch of stuff and reporting back. Too, too true. So I guess switching back to sports a little bit, um, and by a little bit I mean completely. Um, one of the other pieces of realignment news, and this is probably the first of many things that are going to come around, um, Wichita State talking about um, wanting to join the Mountain West. The Mountain West really not interested only because uh, the Shockers do not have a football program. They haven't in over 20 years. Um, and that, I don't really know where that goes, to be honest, because even if Wichita State could get the football program back off the ground, you're looking at probably four or five years um, of a transition, and it's not as if they have to just jump into the Sun Belt, um, which actually is a good and a fun league. But you know, the transition from from nothing to Mountain West does seem a bit difficult. It also forces, I think, the Mountain West to look for um, a partner for uh, for them so to avoid being at an, at an odd number. Which I don't. Again, I'm not sure where they go there. Um, maybe it's maybe it's something. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know where they go. I feel like 
maybe they try to grab UTEP. I'm sure UTEP would love a life raft from a floundering CUSA. Um, but if they want to stay in that general direction, maybe they go with North Dakota State. If North Dakota State's interested in moving up, maybe they uh, go something a little more unconventional. It could be a nice growth pick in my book. Uh, UC Davis would be another interesting one. But, Dan, what, what's... Uh, What's your take? you think anyone's going to be making a move for basketball only, assuming that that's really Wichita State's big selling point? Um, I'm interested in it because I, I, you know, if a school wants to add football and try to, I mean, clearly they want to go now become like a total mid-major power, uh, and that's cool. I struggle to see how, just based on the fact that the state of Kansas barely supports one good team at a time, and they already have two Big 12 programs, one of which is just like horrid and can just is in a total hole. Um, and all of those Kansas JUCOs, which is their biggest recruiting uh, thing in the area, get picked over by mostly Kansas State and then like every other school just goes to them automatically when they need to fill a roster spot or two. So um, I think Wichita State having a football program would be kind of neat uh, and, and joining the Mountain West would be, you know, Mountain West is a fun league to begin with. That would make it... Uh, add some intrigue on the basketball side as well. Um, I just don't know that there's a great path to them becoming like viable. Yeah, I, I think that is my my biggest holdup too with them is that like they've been exploring viability, they've been talking to folks, but like who, what what do you aspire to be, Wichita State football? I mean, I there's a reason you cancel things to begin with. I, I, I struggle to see how that program can be any better than a poor man's Kansas State and a poor man's mid-major Kansas State at that, which could be decent, but you know, you're you're isolated you're pretty well isolated geographically from the rest of the league. Um, like you said, Kansas doesn't really have a, a great depth of talent. You're kinda hanging in the middle of the country there with you know, minimal talent, um, and, and any of the, the talent that is there usually goes to Nebraska. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that their ceiling is probably similar to Nevada's, like outside of that one year with Kaepernick. I mean, Nevada football is not necessarily like anything that people are really aspiring to. So, I, I mean, if they want to be Nevada and they want to spend the money, I mean, it's going to cost a ton. Um, but yeah, if they want to do that, I guess it's an option. I'd, I'd always thought that if someone was going to make a play, basketball, basketball specific play, and Mountain West rules say that you have to sponsor um, football, basketball, and volleyball. Um, actually, credit Mountain West Connection for that one. Um, if anyone's going to make a move just for basketball and make an exception, I think you make that exception for Gonzaga if you're the Mountain West and not Wichita State, just because it it expands you into a place that you're probably benefiting more from, and I think Gonzaga benefits more from as well, although at this point I do feel like the Zags do get the benefit of the doubt in the West Coast Conference, and that's why they're not really Jones and Elite either. Right, and and even Gonzaga, like if you wanted to force them into making football, I think they'd be able to put together a a better product than... I mean, they'd have the the tools to do it uh, more so than Wichita. Uh, I'm looking now... How many, all right, just this for fun. Um, and I know, you know, disclaimer, star rankings only mean so much. But um, out of the entire state of Kansas in the 2017 class, how many players do you think are ranked at all 
Two stars or more. Seven. Six. Six. None over four stars. Uh, none, none, none over three stars. There is one Iowa commit, a Northwestern commit, a Kansas State commit, and an Iowa State commit, and then two uncommitted three-star players, and then a lot of unranked guys. So, obviously, some of those unranked guys are probably going to get bumped up at some point. Some of them are probably good players. Um, but at the moment, you have four total – or you have six total guys who have warranted um, getting even looked at by 24-7 sports. Uh, four of whom are going to major conference programs. So let's say by the end of the cycle, maybe you double that, and maybe you have like eight total power conference players in the entire state, um, and you have two power conference teams in that state already. Uh, it's going to be tough. And I know Mountain West isn't a power conference, but you you aspire to like recruit at least as well as Kansas does. Um, which isn't very good, but it's, you know, I think Kansas would be like a decent recruiting Mountain West team. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's it, all the power to them if they can pull it off. And, you know, the way Wichita State's built the basketball program is really impressive. So if they can apply those same things to football, maybe they can. Um, it's just, I think it'll be really tough sledding. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do. Um, I think the best option for them is find a system that is not replicated in that area, go full, um, like Georgia Southern, or, I mean, under Willie Fritz, now he's at Tulane, obviously. Um, go full, like, just commit to something different uh, where you can recruit players that are going to slip under the radar um, of a lot of other programs, whether it's a triple option, whether it's, like, just something else that's totally unique, and go full bore with it. Because otherwise, uh, just trying to build a conventional program in the state of Kansas. And Kansas State's not a conventional program. They are so... They are the only team that really recruits the way they do, um, just loading up on those JUCOs. Um, Kansas has tried to build a kind of a conventional Big 12 program, and it's failed miserably, like three or four coaches in a row. Uh, so if you're going to do this, you have to have a very set plan in terms of on- and off-field strategy, and uh, maybe they will, and maybe they won't. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I still doubt that Wichita State, even with the basketball team success, has the money to really pursue this. Um, I mean, it's a rarity that it's a rarity at all that a school decides to kind of start up football out of nowhere and jump to, to FBS. It's another when that school isn't really in a recruiting hotbed. I mean, you saw what happened at Old Dominion and Charlotte and UTSA, like all those schools make sense because of where they're located geographically. This one, I just don't feel like the payout is ever going to be worth the spend. Um, that's not to hate on Wichita State. I think they're a great basketball program. And I think... Um, you know, realistically, they probably want to get invited somewhere else. I'm not sure where that somewhere else is, though. And I think that that's why they're seeing the Mountain West as kind of one of their only their only life rafts. Because you know, the Missouri Valley is it has only gotten other than like that that quick stretch of success they had it for a few years. Um, and even with Wichita State's success, the Missouri Valley still is is, is floundering. It's gotten worse. I feel. I mean, even schools like Bradley and, and others who seem like they were rising up um, have since, you know, really kind of fallen flat on their faces. Um, Drake, for that one year that they were really good, there, there's just not a whole lot to love there. But, yeah, I mean, Dan, where else do they go? Do they ask the MAC if they can be basketball-only participants? Like, I, I don't, I get, again, like, I'm just not sure, or not even basketball-only. I guess they could be all sports except for football, like, I'm just not sure where. 
I'm not sure where it goes, and I'm also not sure how much a basketball team, a popular basketball team in Wichita, is worth to any conference, even a mid-major. Right. Maybe. Right. Maybe. I mean, maybe the move is like talking to the whack about just trying to like go two power stools in this in the whack now, or or vice versa. I mean, I don't think Gonzaga would leave for the Missouri Valley. But, like, maybe you try to, like, team up powers that way or something and try to, like, get over that being a, a one-bid league and turn it to, like, a three-bid league with St. Mary's when they're good. Um, or, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's very interesting that they're talking about it because, like you said, like, all the other football programs that have launched recently um, have made sense uh, geographically. Um, and you've seen that in a lot of them being pretty good right away. Like, Georgia Southern, 17-7 and seven since they came up to FBS – um, Appalachian State's been solid. Uh, Charlotte, you, o- ODU have been like, you know, they haven't won a ton of games, Even but Georgia you State. can kind of see where they're going. Georgia State made a bowl yeah. last year. That's crazy. They were so bad. They were so bad at so the beginning of last year. <laughs> they lost to Charlotte yeah. to start the season. <laughs> so you can kind of see, like, you know, putting a new school in the middle of Atlanta um, in Georgia, which I I probably I probably argue that Georgia like should be way more heavily recruited by everyone else than it is. Um, we've seen Syracuse go in there a little bit. But, like, Georgia puts out so many players, and UGA for the longest time just had free reign of it, and occasionally, like, Auburn and Bam would go and get a couple. But, like, that state has just immense talent and only, for the longest time, had, like, two teams. Well, you also look and at Georgia the Tech. fact that its most important city houses one team. Well, it houses two now, but it has one team for a long time, and... That team under and it was a team, team that undercuts itself because of the style of offense it plays. Right, and when they didn't, Georgia should have won a national championship in the nineties. <laughs> like, um, and, and obviously UGA just like swept everything around there, and and, and Atlanta for Georgia Tech, you know, being there is a, is a UGA town. Um, so yeah, like those all made sense, and the Texas schools, like Texas, can support another ten schools if it wants, um, and Florida, same thing. But Kansas, yeah, right. Good luck. Well, yeah. Uh, good luck to you, Shockers. And that's like where you start to look at like the old Big West a little bit and go, hmm. Like, I mean, none of them are coming back, but you go like, okay, like, did Pacific and, you know, Long Beach State and Fullerton State, like, did they didn't fail because of where they are because they're all in, they're all in talent hotbeds. Like, California could support a bunch more teams. And, like, I mean, UC Irvine's a perfect example of a school that really should probably have a football program and be, you know, at the FBS level. I mean, aren't there's nothing between San Diego State and the L.A. schools. I mean, to me, that doesn't make much sense. There's a, you know, ton of talent in between there. Um, I mean, you know, Northern California doesn't have as much talent, but California could easily support more. Like, the WAC ending had more I think the WAC ending had more consequences than people realize because I think what it's done is it's kind of also put a cap on on what you can do as a West Coast football program Um, while I think the rest of the country especially in the South like the world's not necessarily your oyster like you're never getting invited to the SEC but you can carve out a pretty solid existence getting as high up as the American Athletic at some point and it's caused caused the schools out there um to really, you know, rethink football altogether, which is unfortunate um, because the WAC, you know, was such a, a better home for a lot of these programs than the Sun Belt, which is just a, a, 
a mess of a conference geographically. Oh, yeah. and, and meanwhile, though, um, like the Big Sky is like actually, a, I mean, I watch occasionally. Like the Big Sky is a fun league. Like for the FCS, like it's got a lot of great teams. It's huge. Like, mo- like all all the Western programs are there, but it, that's the thing. Like if you can't get in, like uh, San Diego's not in the the um, Big Sky. They're down in what are they an independent? Are they in Missouri? I think they're Missouri Valley. I think they're like one of the one of the random teams that's in the Missouri Valley for some stupid reason. Uh, I'll look it up. Uh, I'll look it up. I don't know actually. Yeah, like they're they're in something stupid. No, Pioneer Football League. Yeah, whatever the hell that is. I literally, I, I literally did not know. I, that was I a did. Thing. <laughs> Let me just double check myself to see who the hell is in it. They have Pioneer Football League as a team in New York. <laughs> of course they do. What is this conference? What's up, Marist? They have What's Marist. Up, Marist? <laughs> so wait, Marist is in a league with San Diego. And the American aspires to be this ridiculous. And Stetson. They have teams in New York, New York, Florida, California. Um, this this league is unbelievable. Indiana, <laughs> two in North Carolina, Ohio, uh, Kentucky, two in Indiana. Like this is this is I mean, stupid. This would be a great mid major. And they used to have Tennessee and Georgia, which is Austin. This would Mercer. be a great mid major basketball league. You got Valpo, you got Butler, you got Davidson, Drake. You got Moorhead State, you got UST. Oh, my God. This makes my head Man, hurt. Think you, think you, Does Maris play San Diego, like, yeah. often? You, you had to play, like, eight games in this conference. That's insane. That's insane. At least, I mean, if I'm Maris, didn't have a Poughkeepsie and going to San Diego for a weekend, it's awesome. <laughs> but how do they, like, how do they justify this? Yeah, I... I also don't understand where Moorhead State fits in because every other school here is private. And their headquarters, and their headquarters is in St. Louis. They don't have a team in Missouri. Oh, God. Well, did St. Louis used to be in this league before they, like, dropped football? That's like, that's that's like that. no, they, they, I mean, not according to this. Um, that's, that's like when, uh, that's like the AAC just hanging out, uh, hanging out in, in Providence. <laughs> Except that, that's like if the AAC, like, went to a city where they never had a team in any of the iterations of the league. And they're like, we're just going to yeah, camp out here. The rent's cheap. The rent's cheap. <laughs> the rent's cheap. Well, they haven't, I mean, no, the Big East has team in Omaha. Um, oh, my God. This is hilarious. I, th- I think it just gave you an article for tomorrow. I, I'm off tomorrow. I'm not writing anything. <laughs> I'm definitely not writing about the Pioneer <laughs> Football League. <laughs> Sounds made up. Like, if someone made up this league and put this Wikipedia page together, like, they, I, I would totally believe it. If you said, no, oh, this is a hoax Wikipedia page and no one's done it. Just write it for Monday. The... the... <laughs> gaze and Guys, wonder. the Pioneer Football League exists. Look at this gaze, shit. Gaze and wonder at, at, at this god awful thing that I just why why are all these schools private? I'm reading the Wikipedia. Conference was formed by charter members Buffalo, Dayton, Drake, Evansville. So this is basically the Missouri Valley Conference. Like you said, though, this would be a dope this basketball, would be great basketball league. league. Why did USD join this league? Like I have no idea. They're so far from the nearest school is is what Drake in in Iowa in Des Moines. Oh my god! But like this this goes to why actually like I love like I watch FCS football sometimes like because Jim Harbaugh coached in this league. Oh my god! Oh my god! Because the thing is, the Big Ten games are always so goddamn boring. 
like outside of Ohio State, which usually plays in primetime, or like Michigan now, I guess. But like I usually just end up watching like local FCS games or like I'll definitely watch the Ivy League game when they have it on CBS Sports. Like FCS football is wacky. Like I grew up with the closest team being, you know, an FCS team in Hofstra and that was always fun. I, uh, I, I distinctly recall a time when Hofstra beat UConn, who was then in the Yankee uh, Conference or Patriot League or whatever the hell it is down there. Um, I remember Hofstra beating them with like Giovanni Carmazzi at quarterback, like 35 nothing or something stupid. And then like the thoughts going through my head when I was a Syracuse student watching UConn, you know, run us off the dome turf was, uh, was painful and it was odd rectifying those two things in my mind. Yeah, I'd like not to, not to yeah, talk about fair. that. UConn's not existent. My first, yes. Good luck getting into the Big 12, UConn. In all sincerity, I will I will be happy for the UConn fans I like if they get into the Big 12. Um, as much as I like, don't quite get why that's really a thing the Big 12 would consider for like a million reasons, if they get in, like it probably wouldn't be the best thing for Syracuse, but, uh, you know, it, it, I'd be happy for, for no escalators and like my friends from home, and that's about it. You know what, though, I think, and love you, no escalators, I think you're going to be... Super insufferable if they get in. Oh, God. I might have to mute them for a couple days and then, like, just catch up later. Um, So, yeah, you know, FCS football is a lot of fun. And, yeah, it is kind of stupid that, you know, the Big West folded and we lost all these teams. Um, Maybe if Pacific had stayed up, maybe Greg Robinson would have headed there. Maybe maybe Daryl Gross would have headed there. You never know. Pacific's actually the last... uh, FBS team that totally dropped football, unless you count UAB, but they're getting it back. Yeah, and you know, I, I understand why I get Pacific more than I get the others, to be honest. Like, I don't understand why Cal State Fullerton ever had a team, but I guess once they had it, I don't understand why you get rid of it. Um, I, I really do think UC Irvine needs a team. Um, there's, there's plenty of space down there to, to put a, a modest football stadium together. UCI has a great academic reputation. Again, like they're they're one of those like if somebody was going to jump from nothing to to FBS like them or you them seems fair. If the Mountain West needed another team or wanted another team, I think UC Davis is probably where you're going. Even if San Jose and Fresno probably vote against it, if I had to guess, just from a geographic footprint standpoint, as I always say, I don't understand why San Diego State doesn't run rings around that conference every year from a recruiting standpoint. Um, and I mean, finally they put it all together last year, but we'll have to see if that holds. I, I guess, yeah, my, my original point was just, why is there no West Coast football? And it's because the Big Sky schools have no desire to, to leave where they are because they all enjoy being, you know, medium-sized fishes in a small pond. And, and they saw what happened to Idaho and New Mexico State, um, and I mean, to a lesser extent, I guess Nevada, UNLV, and some of the others, like... I mean, even San Jose State like doesn't really San Jose State doesn't really succeed. I mean, they had that like one really good season in the WAC, but otherwise, like you know, they're a team that hangs at or underneath five hundred, and I don't know if anyone's really dying to move up for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they seem to be just like kind of floundering. They're recruiting well, though. I, admittedly, the last couple of years they've done well. Yeah, they had the one year that was crazy. They were like in the top fifty, weren't yeah, they? Which, which hurts me. Because the Syracuse, you could you could be in the top fifty pretty easily. I, I mean, I, I think you're. That, that's my one problem with, with 
and this is not to get onto a Schaefer tangent, but it's kind of close this out. Like, if you're a team in a Power Five conference that's reasonably close to talent, so like this is really only excluding Kansas, and that might be it. Maybe Iowa State, um, just because they suck. Um, you're pretty much you have a sixty or higher recruiting bar as a baseline, and everything you do from there is is based on your coaching staff. Because coming in and saying, here's a Power 5 offer, gets, gets you most three-star kids, especially if your main competition is, you know, FCS schools or, or, or G5 schools. I just think for Syracuse to really be hanging around that 50 to 65 spot for so long, I mean, last year doesn't count because Babers had a month and a half to put a really good class together, to be honest. But I just, I don't think anyone should be bragging about a power conference program getting something in that 50 to 65 range or even even 45 i'd say even as high as 45 because again it's it's just you inherit you inherit that because of your station in life and 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 people need to stop pretending that's not the case right right and uh when we sign our first four top 45 class we will also that's true <laughs> first in a while it's obviously we've had them before been, it's been a long time, though, admittedly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Dan. So uh, so what else? Do we have any other undiscovered FCS leagues we need to dig up? Or? No, maybe we made that like, no, like a running thing. Like we just find our favorite, like just ridiculous <laughs> lower division football league this uh, week, every week. This there week in FCS. It's perfect. <laughs> My mind is blown by that. Like I said, that. you need. <laughs> the thing is, if you wrote that article, not like I can't be just because. I mean, people already barely tolerate me on the site sometimes when I write things. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I wrote that, like everyone would just be like, just fire him. Um, you could write it though, and be like, has has anyone has literally anyone heard of this? Has anyone noticed notice <laughs> this? Like they do this like willingly. Someone, like San Diego is one of the original signees on the thing. Like, are they actively? I don't even think I'm gonna write an article. I think I might just write it on my wall, like The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> Pioneer. <laughs> Scratch it into the San Diego is in league with Maris. San Diego is in league with Maris. Start like putting together one of those stupid like pin maps with the uh, with strings attached. <laughs> Just, papers Just papers all over the wall with like jazz playing like I'm Perry Matheson. Oh god, that broke my brain. <laughs> all right, and on that note, um, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, Dan, thanks as always for joining us. Yes, good time. Let's do uh, more expansion stuff, but like less awful parts of expansion yeah, stuff. Yeah, and oddly, and just to hit our quota, we never mentioned Tulane once today. And I wrote about Tulane today. In my, in my expansion <laughs> Specifically article, because of this. So, uh, Tulane, 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 Tulane. All right. Again, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll be back next week. Go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange. Hey, bud. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.